Greetings in the name of Christ. I um, have a sermon for us today based on these readings that we have in Genesis and Romans and Psalms and in um, Matthew's Gospel. And I have a three-point sermon that I want to try and keep short. I know sermons on video feel longer. So I want to move through just three thoughts on these readings. And the first is this, uh, purpose. Uh, what is the purpose of humanity? What's the purpose for Abraham? When uh, Amy and I were first married, my great aunt Alice gave us a gift. She gave us these two matching pieces of um, pottery, these two bowls. And uh, one was a little bit larger and they were beautiful. They were like one of the nicer things we had. And so as we moved around, we moved these pots and we put them in these prominent places in these early years of our marriage. And somewhere in about the fifth or sixth year at least, uh, one of us was sitting, maybe we were in a conversation 20 years ago, you can imagine, looking at the two bowls and walked over and picked up the smaller one and put it on the larger one. And it, behold, it was a soup terrain. It wasn't two pieces of pottery. We'd been moving this stuff around for such a long time and never knew the purpose of the pottery. We'd completely underused this uh, beautiful piece that we had. So that's the idea that I have here. What's the purpose of God making a covenant with Abraham? What is his purpose for humans in the world? It's the same question. And we get it in this reading in Genesis 18. We have Sarah laughing early on, which tends to attract our attention. But the, the real focus is this question between these three, this like Trinitarian visitors to Abraham. And they say this to themselves while Abraham's busy cooking and prepping a lamb for them to eat. Shall we tell Abraham what we're here for? Shall we tell him the purpose? That we intend to bless him and make him a great nation so that he and his family will spread out and, get it, do justice and righteousness by following the commands of the Lord. So two weeks ago, if you go back to a sermon still recorded, my friend Drew Johnson just played out this theme. You begin with Adam, and God plants a people in the garden and then says, spread out, doing works of justice and love and righteousness, making the world into a place of peace, of shalom. Uh, they fail in the garden, and so God takes Noah and plants him and says, spread out. And now we're into Genesis 12 to 18. God takes Abraham and says, I'm going to put you in the land of Canaan and plant you there. And then I'm going to spread you out to do justice and righteousness as you move through the nations. That was the whole purpose of Adam's race. That's the whole purpose of the nation of Israel, the children of Abraham. That God wanted them to be people of justice and righteousness. Uh, Drew, my friend, alluded to some of the laws. If you lived in Israel, it was the most lenient in terms of punitive laws, of punishment for criminals. You had the highest standards for being convicted of a crime. It had to welcome immigrants, widows, sojourners. That did not happen in other countries around Israel. Any debt or any loss of land you went into had to be given back in reparations on the 7th and the 49th year. Nothing like this in the ancient world in terms of generosity, of caring for the needy, of justice and righteousness. Israel fails in her task, and I don't want us to forget that the church inherits Abraham's task with the children of Abraham. We're reading in Romans 5 today, and if you just jump forward to 9 to 11, it even begins in chapter 2 where Paul says, for we are like Abraham who believed and was justified by faith. 
were following Abraham. He believed that God could do this mighty thing through he and his wife, Sarah. And the church is given that, Paul says in Romans 11, were grafted into Israel. That's what that means. It's not like there's um, some kind of, we often, too often think of the promised land. Is God going to come back to Israel and Iraq? The point of Paul's letter there is, you've been given Abraham's purpose to spread out through the nations, being people of love, of justice and righteousness. That's our calling. And we've been entered into that covenant with God to do that thing by faith, the faith that Abraham had. So first, by faith, we have entered in and discovered our purpose, people of justice and righteousness. Point two, laughter. We go back to Sarah's laughter. The three visitors, if you remember in the scene, are talking to Abraham about what this great vision they're going to do. They're going to take he and his barren wife, who's 80 years old, and make him a great nation with lots of children and families. And Sarah laughs. Why? Think about that for a minute. Why would she laugh? I know, she's barren. Um, picture maybe, um, maybe giggling. I think it's much closer to scorn. Uh, Sarah thinks this is ludicrous. And she scorns the Lord for making such a promise as this. Um, this isn't like uh, uh, Sarah's simply thinking, oh, how difficult this might be, or um, this is silly, but I think it might be true. Sarah's become turned inward on herself and rejected the promise of the Lord. You go back two chapters, and God is in like his fifth or sixth promise to Abraham and Sarah that he would do this thing for them. So Sarah thinks to herself, no way. So she says, look, Abraham, I got this immigrant woman who works for us named Hagar, and she's of a different race. Why don't you go use her to make a child? And this child is born, and you see her, um, Sarah's heart opened up. She scorns this woman and says, get her away. I mean, what a brutal act, if you imagine it, for um, Isaac or for Ishmael and for Hagar to be sent away unprotected. Sarah's heart is not one of silliness. She scorns the Lord. And why? Because her eyes are fixed on her womb. Her eyes are fixed on their status as nomads, not on the Lord's promise. It's throughout Scripture, we hope not in what we see, but what we do not see. Uh, Hebrews. And here is Sarah hoping in her womb. Now, I raise this for us today because I think there's an immediate kind of application for us. We're people who are very prone, it's human instinct, to look at our natural surroundings and want to place our hope there. We sit in a national moment of injustice where there's been bias and mistreatment and a, and a building up of structures that disadvantage people of color and immigrants and the poor and advantage those who gain financial wealth and opportunity and connections. Injustice just increasing. And so as we can watch on the news, which it loves to broadcast to us in, in triplicate, uh, disappointment. Sarah's scorn for the fact that a nation of promise cannot be a place of justice. And I want to say something that may be the opposite of what you imagine. Do not look at the culture. Do not look at our justice systems. Do not look at the public media, especially through the news, and expect to find hope. Or you'll end up right where Sarah is, turning inward on herself, 
into scorn and grief and anger. It's the lesson, why does she laugh? Because she's angry at God's promise. Because she does not believe, because she's so fixed on her surroundings that she can't find any success or any sense of hope. We are not to hope in this world or the things in this world. Three, so we have the purpose of the people of God. Two, it's not coming about. Don't set your eyes on it because you'll turn to scorn. Three, hope in the Lord. Hope in the God who has poured out for us glory. That's the message of Romans 5, 1 to 11. Here's Paul's logic, basically, if you open that up. And Paul writes in this weird Greek way in long sentences. They're hard. But Paul's basic point is this. Look, by faith in Jesus, we're all close to the Father. We've been given an inheritance of glory. Well, how? Because he gave up his son. We saw him die on a cross. The Lord Almighty was sacrificed and walked out of a grave. And Paul says, can you believe it? And if that's true, then all the more we should hope in the glory that's given to us. It's that it's a Hebrew way of stating that Calva Homer, how much more? If God raised and gave his only son and he died to make us at peace with him, how much more should we believe in the glory he's going to give to us? We set our eyes, we set our hopes on the glory, on the love of God, not on what happens in this world. Imagine the difference that that has on us. That's the Christian tradition for us, to learn to set hope on God and then get busy publicly in our cities, in our communities, in our courts, with voting, with education, with equal rights. But we do not set our hope there because it will lead to despair. Some of you may have seen my friend Esau Macaulay. He's an African-American priest in our church at Wheaton. And he wrote a piece this week in Christianity Today where this was his point from Romans. He says, I do not set my eyes on this world. I do not derive hope from more people on a YouTube screen or on a video screen showing up at a protest. I derive hope from an empty grave and a resurrected Christ. Now, if you know Esau, he hopes deeply, he yearns deeply for change but he's disciplined himself in the virtue of hope. Where do I set my heart? And we've trained ourselves as people to set our emotions on what we see, like Sarah looking at a barren womb and not being able to believe that God could bring about a just humanity in Christ. I want us to reflect on that today, to think about where we set our hope. If you don't feel like a person of hope, then I give this to us today. Hope is a virtue practiced. It is not an emotion. Paul says we're hopeful people because he's poured out his Holy Spirit of love into us. And as we suffer and wait, because we've got the rest of our lives to wait for that glory, every day of waiting and putting our faith and hope back in the Lord, we suffer and persevere and get stronger and get character and hope who builds itself up all on its own by God's work if we set our heart on him. But if we set our heart on the things we see, we'll turn inward. I leave us with those words of Psalm 130 and 131, these glorious two little psalms of ascent that are together. O Israel, hope in the Lord, a message to people in suffering and exile. From this time forth and forevermore, O Israel, hope in the Lord.